Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, especially as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. In this episode, we'll be reviewing another work by an author in the famed Appendix N, as termed by the revered Gary Gygax, and helping you prepare to serve it at your DCC RPG table. And with me today are Bob Brinkman. Yes. And the always lovely Jen Brinkman. Hello, Mr. David Beatty. Hello. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) After combating the lung flu for three or four days, I appreciate you guys being patient with me. Uh, yeah, that's no fun. We didn't want to get, like, cooties over the internet. I've heard that can happen. Uh... Computer viruses are evil. So what are we doing today, guys? Today we're doing The Life of Eben According to Siren of Varad by Lynn Carter. Ooh. Oh, that is all you, Bob. Okay, well, <laughs> the initial synopsis from Cthulhu Wiki is The Book of Eben... The creation of Clark Ashton Smith ranks behind Lovecraft's Necronomicon as a shunned repository of mystical horrors surviving blasphemously from elder eons. Not content with his own and Lovecraft's citations of the book, Smith actually wrote two chapters of it, his famous stories The Door to Saturn and The Coming of the White Worm. Lynn Carter knew a good thing when he saw it and decided that it would be fun to write and read the remaining abonic chapters. He did not live to finish the book, but others took up the challenge, supplying more of the droll yet frightening episodes, as well as various liturgical and magical arcana the Book of Eben was said to contain. A mythos grimoire, a work of horror, humor, and genuine poetic power. Now, The Life of Eben was originally written as a little eight-page chapbook, It tells the partial story of the Hyperborean mage behind the book, as told by his apprentice, and it's mostly history and light on actual story, but it just screams, screams, screams Appendix N. Um, (laughs) Well said. That's that's a mouthful. Yes, yes it is. probably about the first chapter or paragraph in this chat book. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the... The other thing is, growing up, I always thought it was Iben, and there's a, a movie out there that uses the book, and they call it Aben, but everything I can find says it should be Eben, so I'll go with Eben. Okay, we'll go with it. Well, this is quite a contrast from the uh, language used in the last episode. Oh, man. Uh, it's revenge for that folksy language. Arcane <laughs> verbosity hardcore, man. I, I did feel like I was being punished. <laughs> Felt a little bit like reading the Bible or Lovecraft at his not so awesomest. Yeah, it was uh, wordy. Well, 
You have to keep in mind, Lynn Carter is best known for his posthumous collaborations with Robert E. Howard and Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, He finished several of Robert E. Howard's Conan and Cull stories, and then he wrote some Lovecraftian pastiches himself. So it certainly is going to read very old-school 20s verbose Lovecraft and Howard, but he was also known, and what got him into the Appendix N list, Lynn Carter was also known for the World's End stories, uh, which we will probably eventually cover. But yeah, I mean, you could just print this out and drop it into a game as a prop. Definitely. I've been searching for proof for years that there's actually backmasking going on in literature. And uh, <laughs> I think after I read this uh, out loud, the, the wall started bleeding and uh, Sadie, my cat, grew bat wings and started flying around the uh, apartment. So, <laughs> yeah, this was definitely uh... biblical material for me. Yeah, I think it's from the the Sahidic books of the Coptic Bible is is what it's taken from. Yeah, I will say at this point I'm kind of on the fence about reading the book of Eben, the original by Clark Ashton Smith, if this is anything to go on. (laughs) Well, and this is certainly the arcane language taken to its extreme. As short as this is, it is very dense reading. It is not a a breezy read. There's a lot of details that you're not going to pick up the first time through because... You're going to get so buried in the language that you, when you read something like, not the least among which were the Vormish tablets, whereon the old, the dreadful arcana of the troglodytes was engraven by uncouth and bestial paws, and that which is still decipherable by men of the Noctic manuscripts and the Kadoth record. By that point, your eyes start to glaze the first time through. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you guys are still awake. You, you still with me, David? I actually had to put corks on all my forks to keep from gouging my eyes <laughs> It's funny, there were quite a few mentions of troglodytes in all of this. There were so many points where it was just, Eben writ this in chapter the 4th, and Eben wrote this in chapter the 13th. So it was just kind of glossed over, but so many times he loved to put in that word troglodyte. Yeah. As a slur, almost. Well, troglodytes, At least that's how it felt. Troglodytes, besides being statted in D&D and statted in DCC, troglodytes were actually proto-humans. I mean, troglodytes were real. So it fits in that perspective of this ancient world before ours. And yeah, he does kind of harp on them a little bit. But I also think that the richness of the language, once you adapt to it, really brings a lot to this story. And yes, there's a lot of he wrote this in this chapter because it's referring to other stories by Smith and Carter. Right. It just, I'll be honest, it felt like a lot of begats. <laughs> it, well, in a lot of ways, it is a lot of begats. Um, it really but does that, feel like that it was... That said, you know, I about halfway through, I was like, oh, okay, there's the story. Okay, that's kind of cool. But I don't really need to know who was in rule and what year of the of the toad it was or whatnot um but that but without having the full calendar it didn't do anything for me well see but i think that detail adds to the richness and makes it feel more genuine it reads like a history being written by a contemporary at the time it would be like in any of the books about D&D. So in 1976, Gary wrote this and this and this. And then in 79, he wrote this. But you're replacing Gary with Eben. You're replacing 1976 with the Year of the Black Tiger. And all of that factual data being portrayed that way, to me, comes off as very genuine and realistic. Oh, yeah. It was definitely had a realistic feel to it. Which More made a... it a little less exciting, but... 
it actually did have that nonfiction feel about it. Right. And there's a lot of stuff in it that you can stat. Just the wizards of Hyperborea to begin with. There's you know, Eben, son of Malab, Zylak, the enchanter, Hormagor, the wizard of Abormus, Morgi, the inquisitor, Siron of Varad. All of these really cool wizard names that just ooze Appendix N. They make reference to the Zilogomish rituals, um, or Tasthagwa, which is a Lovecraftian sort of mythos toad god that has been statted in D&D, Call of Cthulhu, contemporary of Cthulhu himself, so certainly an easy thing to write up as a god or a patron for DCC. That's true. Shantak birds, which have been written up before. The only thing that really scared me, and I actually had to stop, and I had to, I had to look, and I had to look deeper, was there's the reference to the wizard's speculum of black steel, I was like, speculum? What's a speculum? <laughs> and I looked, and oh boy, that is not a Google search you want to make unprepared. I, I suggest you do wizard's speculum. Because um, speculum, of course, mean, is Latin for mirror, and so it's a black steel mirror. But, you know, speculums today are used to look inside orifices, and boy, that was just, woo! Not um, safe for work search. I'd like to have been a fly on the wall for that one. I had to put quirks on all my forks, David. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or Charnatus, the demon of time. I just just that little bit sounds so cool to make him as a as a patron or a minor deity. I'm just glad that Bob has gotten all of those pronunciations out of the way. Uh, we're we're almost there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the troglodytes, even though they've been statted up in a lot of things, I think you could possibly do something with that. You know, some modifications to the creature itself. Um, you already mentioned Ebon as a uh, patron, which I thought would be kind of cool. The Black House of Zylac, which I think that is where Eben was presiding. Oh, yeah, because Zylac cool. was his mentor. Yeah, on the uninhabited island. Yeah, and there was mention that I think he had left for some time, and if I'm not mistaken, they mentioned through that time the creatures or the horrors that lived within had eventually left. So you could even make a small adventure out of the Black House if you wanted to throw something like this into your adventures and your homebrew stuff. I'll hold you to that for the uh, companion, David. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jan? Well, you could do any of the magic items or spells mentioned within. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's some more pronunciations here. Uh, <laughs> the, the rituals of Ye, the parchments of Panam. And I, I would do the books as magic items for DCC purposes, as opposed to tomes or something like yeah. that. I know in some editions of D&D, you can actually collect your tomes and whatnot and fill it with certain spells, but a little bit different here for DCC. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was thinking that for at least some of the books, it, it would be a great way to drop in new spells. Spells oh, yeah. that aren't in the core book, that are from third-party materials. You have like 10 or 12 of them, which of course would be much bigger than 10 or 12 pages in the DCC book. And you know, that's this is the contents of that book you find. It's a great way to get new spells in the hands of players so they can figure out what they were going to learn. No, that's a great idea. Right, but you would have to actually learn it from that, and boy, does DCC have some pretty vile methods <laughs> available to learn a new spell. It could be done that way. I mean, you could even find them as scrolls here and there. Oh yeah, especially since the story describes just all of the scrolls piled up when he shows up towards the end because he's trying to hide materials from Morgi. And that way your thieves can access them too. 
Yeah. yeah. More chances for corruption. Yay! But it was not lost on me, by the way, that Zylak died from the Zly... Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, th- those rituals. <laughs> yes, he he died from the Zeologmish rituals or, or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, that's th- that ain't happening. Not, not meant for human tongue. <laughs> yeah. um, that obviously spells too much spellburner corruption. Yeah. And that's I think... what I get from it. And I was thinking about maybe doing those up as a spell or a group of spells. And, of course, the Vormis, who are followers of Tsathagwa, there's the Vormish tablets. So whatever their scrawled primitive magic is, you could easily do a variation of hearth magic or something like that, and instead Stone Age magic. Ooh. Mm. Call Mammoth. Kill Pterodactyl. <laughs> and you know where I have to go with the tablets, right? Those could even be built into somebody's house at some point. Oh. Because tablets turn into tiles. There was that guy recently who who pissed off the internet because he was using headstones as bricks on his patio. (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. But I could easily see old stone tablets, even if they're faced in, into the wall. So you're looking at the back and it's smooth, but there's this primitive magic that's still there. Oh, that would be great to drop into an adventure. You go into a room, there's this evil vibe, you don't know why, and it's because the magic is facing the other way. Oh, it's I a like heck that, of a ward portal. Yeah. Sounds oh, like I a dig great a Bob Brinkman adventure. Oh, no, it's going to be a great David Beatty adventure. We've, we've, already, <laughs> we've already got you committed. Yeah. Or should be, at least. One thing I liked about this was there was a cat goddess in it for all us uh, DCC cat freaks out there. Yeah. Yeah. Ixira, am I saying that right? Sure. All right, we'll go with that. Yeah. There was the door to Psychronosh, which was a portal given to Eben as a gift from Sathagua. Yeah. Um, We could also stat up Siren's apprentice, Alabac, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Alabac's apprentice, 100 years after Eben's disappearance, that was Harud. That's another reason why this felt like you were reading the Bible, because you, know, you look at the Old Testament and people are like, oh, well, and he lived to 800 years old, and he lived to 700 years old. Well, Zylak died at 128, not finding in my notes how long Eben <laughs> lived. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He didn't die. He didn't die. He disappeared. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, he vanished. My bad. Yeah. yeah, that was a portal from which he cannot return. This would be a great book for you to read if you were looking for names for your characters, too. There's so many names. Maybe not your children, but your characters. (laughs) Or if someone challenges you to a tongue twister contest. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I'm not naming the kid (sighs) Alabek. Or Harood. So there's got to be somewhere else to go with this. Well, so how about props and audio? Yeah, that would be something to uh, mention. One of the things I thought was kind of cool, this is obviously a story about a wizard, so with all the mention of the scrolls and spells and things like that, you could definitely have some items fashioned as props at the gaming table. If you've got a wizard at the table and he's itching to get this new magic item, whether it be a wand or an amulet or something like that, why not uh, have them fashion it, craft it, bring it to the table, and, you know, kind of add some realism to the whole thing. Oh, nice. So you can do a lot with, like, copper wire, beads, and some ribbon. Oh, yeah. Any craft store, you know, they've got so much stuff that you could probably pick and choose from and come up with some pretty crazy stuff. So. Well, and on a character level, you could have them do something ritualistic along the lines of wizard staff or make potion. Like come to the table naked, slathered in Crisco. I think that's her thing, dude. <laughs> the satanic panic was apparently just early. 
Uh, for audio, one of the things that kind of this this short story was very I don't know it seemed kind of dark in a way for me I don't know why but it reminded me of a playlist that's out there on Spotify called Cryo Chamber and it's a lot of ambient stuff and it's great for background music when you're running your games it's kind of dark a little ominous so I think that would be a good thing to throw in if you're going to run an adventure kind of in this theme you know I think you're onto something there David toward the end I really started feeling like I was reading the last scene in Elric. Yeah, good call. And and like the entirety of this little book was that last scene in Elric. Very dark. It is really dark. When it comes to props, I certainly agree with David. One of the things that I was thinking about was rolled up parchments. Lots oh, of yeah. them. Just kind of covering a side table with rolled up scrolls. You could easily get dressed up blank books and sketchbooks to represent grimoire a statue of Sthagwa or any of the other dark gods. I mean, you can go on eBay these days and find so many Lovecraftian and mythos props like that uh, fairly inexpensively and really cool. Or you could even go to one of those yard and lawn ornament stores and just buy a big frog and paint it black with like metallic colors. <laughs> That's a and, great idea. And red eyes and just set that on an end yeah. table. Uh, you know, or, you know, in the window and, and scare your neighbors. <laughs> Music-wise, there's definitely been some influence. There's Eben, which is a French doom sludge metal band. No, wait a minute, doom sludge? Yes. Uh-huh. What is doom sludge? Uh, doom metal sludge metal. Okay. They they refer to themselves as doom sludge. Because, <laughs> um, okay. you know, that's not creepy enough. Uh, so they're, they're a French group, and their stuff is really, really dark. I mean, they've got albums like Entering Darkness, uh, songs like Asleep and Threatening and Staring at the Abyss. There's a group out of the UK called Eben La Furies, and they've got songs like Conjure Me and The Immoral Compass, and they're also really kind of dark. They're sort of a dark experimental metal. Their stuff is kind of fun, and of all things, there's a song, technically it's pronounced Aben, because it's inspired by uh, the movie The Beyond by Lucio Fulci. He's an Italian horror filmmaker. And in his movie The Beyond, the book of Aben is there and it opens a gate to hell. And Shy One does dark hip-hop. <laughs> is that what I heard you playing down the hall earlier? Yes, it reminded me a little bit of some of the darker stuff from... I would say mid-career ICP. And so he, he's got Abon based on that. And it's actually kind of fun. Granted, the video steals is almost all just footage from the movie. But there's definitely some direct music influences and tie-ins that are kind of interesting to listen to. Well, I, I was thinking a little bit more on the literal translation of this for props and Siren is writing these notes using a bone quill and squid ink. So Uh those could be kind of neat to have out there and and available to find for characters. Or you could get a giant set of elk antlers to represent uh, Yaounde, the elk goddess. Her cult was pretty much taking over the entire area at the same time that Eben was being accused of worshipping Sothogua. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) So we could just tie antlers to David's head and give him some Crisco and turn him loose at a convention. Hey, Garricon's coming up. We're LARPing. (sighs) We're LARPing. Don't judge us. (laughs) Or you could just keep a cat like Siren did. 
Because he yeah. liked Dixera better. That might be a little bit more socially acceptable. I'm not bringing my cat to Gary Cohn. So. <laughs> uh, no, n- neither will we. <laughs> That'd be a long plane flight of... Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be music to slit your wrist by. So, does that wrap it up for the props and music ideas? Or or do we want some more meowing in there? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think looking over to, to modules that sort of tie in or carry that vibe, at first I thought it was going to be really tough, because while, like I said, this is a very compact and certainly a dense read, there's not a whole lot there. But going through, you know, right off the bat, the Emerald Enchanter, the ancient evil wizard, easily could tie in and could be one of these ancient Hyperborean wizards. Same with, you could easily tie it into Hypercube of Might. Give oh. some of the tournament modules a little love for a second. Yeah. This I... weird portal that takes you into this ancient realm of a wizard that's right up there. So the other road crew module would be up there as well? Well, Death by Nexus, you've got ancient godly powers toying with mankind. There we go. <laughs> yeah, and while it's it's stated, you know, they're the various powers... They don't really go into specifics of which, so certainly it could be Sathagwa, Cthulhu, all of these ancient powers of, of neutrality, law, and chaos certainly ties in well. The Tales of the Fallen Empire setting. If you look at Tales of the Fallen Empire and the way it's set up and that it takes place a couple hundred years after the fall of this empire when people stood up to the wizard kings. It really takes place maybe a couple hundred years after a story like this. So that certainly fits. Perils of the Sunken City could tie in. This ancient and lost civilization coming up out of the water. Well, Hyperborea, Atlantis, all of that sank beneath the waves. So there's certainly a tie-in there. Uh, The Croaking Fane sure sounds like Sathagwa. Yeah, definitely. And Jewels of the Carnifex, talking about your forbidden or forgotten religions, could easily, with a little bit of tweaking, could play up the battle between the cults of Sathagwa and Yaounde, and how one fell. So a little bit of reskinning here and there, and any one of these modules could tie directly into this. Nice. I was kind of thinking People of the Pit. It just kind of yeah. had that, I don't know, the the feel of it with the, the cult that was going on with the, the giant worm and everything. I don't know for some reason. Oh, yeah. It just kind of fit well with the, the, the whole, I don't know, this, the setting of the story. It kind of seemed like that would fit really well into that. Yeah, well, a giant chthonic worm certainly ties in, I think. Yeah. Especially with the temporal and spiritual power that they had that the cult of Yonde had been noted for stretching throughout the land, taking over the entire thing, that also reminded me of the coven that's featured in Beyond the Black Gate. Oh, I hate those women. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to finish killing them next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. With Bjorn, the patron. Yeah. He's retiring. Unrelated. Uh, the way this whole thing reads, I, I was joking about, you know, having to read the Bible and whatnot, but it actually brought to mind the seven-folded booklet, which is the holy text of the seven-forked path to serenity, which is one of the lesser-known religions brought to us by forgotten gods. Hmm. 
The door to Psychronosh really, really reminded me of those book plates in the 13th skull, where you flip the heavy page of that book and it transports you somewhere else. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I'm all about the comparisons and the module inspirations here. So religious persecution by authority figures. I'm going to keep the list small. I'm going to leave it with (laughs) the Jarl in Doom of the Savage Kings and Azazel of the Light in Jewels of the Carnifex. Because clearly you are worshipping the wrong deity, and if it's not my way, it's the wrong way. Hmm. We've got the trove of knowledge that is dumped on Siren's lap that could easily be related to the library in the Emerald Enchanter. Yeah. Or even more heavily related would be the Tomb of Dust. It's one of the Purple Planet accompaniments uh, written by Edgar Johnson in Lost Tomb of the Ancients. Oh. And that's essentially your your end goal is this trove of knowledge that you stumble upon. Well, and you know, if you think about it, since since Ivan went through this portal through which he can never return, you could easily tie that into the Purple Planet. Maybe that's where he actually went. Uh, it you could, could have, have been any number of, of yeah, uh, you... planes. Per se. Well, that's true. It's, it's like in the published Lankmar supplements out there, there's, oh, you know, yeah. there's a cave that could take you anywhere. So that sort of thing could tie in or could be carried across very easily. The party's chasing this ancient wizard called Eben, and you can take them from world to world to world. Yeah. You know, from the purple planet to emerging from a spoil in the Shutter Mountains... Okay, I'll I'll give it to you. There there's more inspiration to be found in these short pages than <sighs> I'm still not reading the Wheel of Time. <laughs> That's fair, I won't ask you to. <laughs> one last one before we get to our featured module. Yeah, the cult of y- Yande driving out other deities from the area, basically forcing conversion upon the people. It specifically notes that they drove out the god of fishermen, and honestly, that puts me over to Attack of the Frogs. Oh, yeah? I yeah. can see that. Because there's other critters with their own religion that are moving in and doing away with the way of the land over by the lake there, so that just kind of hit me. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so what are we going to suggest as our featured module today, tying in with this wonderful work ooh, of... Ooh, I got it. Since the characters of this story could be the attendees of the first Conclave of Wizards, perhaps our featured module should be the 998th Conclave of Wizards. Awesome. Totally agree. So, 997 years later, you know, that would explain why some of them are of different planets and and realms, and yeah, you've got some aliens there. In the end of the story, Eben actually goes through a portal, right? So who's to say he wasn't transported into this wonderful adventure that we're about to talk about? And and that's so funny because one of my favorite illustrations in this book is the little page with the characters from the band. And Hugh is amazed to meet Alamanter of Violet on the streets of Sizz, as that was one of the wizards in the, the little DCC party. You know, those pages at the back of every single module, they kind of fluctuate out, and and Doug Kovacs gives a story for each one. And so the wizard had vanished from the party at one point, and now they find him on the streets in this module. And that just tickled me. Yeah, that is really kind of neat. So the, the first challenge in this one actually takes place on a mostly deserted island, much 
akin to that uninhabited island home. The primary goal... Yeah, I'll say it's the primary goal of this module, because I don't want to give the entire thing away for all the players, but it is a sixth level module, so chances are you haven't hit it yet anyway, yeah. is to join a cabal of wizards, also referred to as magicians, and it ends with a spell duel. It, it's almost a, a perfect fit in that. The secondary goal would be to find a, a member of this cabal who's missing and rumored to have a special artifact with him. So you've got the possibility of breaching other magicians' towers and, and stealing their knowledge. You've got a, a wizard named Maiga with similar traits to the Inquisitor Morgi. Some wizards are in other cults, including potential demon involvement. Each cabal member has different spell focuses. And that, that reminded me of the quote of necromancy plus three other kinds of magic studied by Zylac. Yeah. Very true. And it took Eben 31 years to perfect thaumaturgy, so they're all a little aged. <laughs> the ill-rumored tablet of ultra-telluric metal mentioned in this book just really fits perfectly for an alien setting. And by alien, I mean there might be a little bit of travel to get to this other planet, but it's not a purple planet thing. No. Uh, n not, not at all related, but... Uh, not on your normal medieval castle grounds. And honestly, I gotta say, the best part of this module is the advanced spell duel rules. Yeah, definitely. One of the things uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, I think sometimes we don't even pick up a module because we look at it and it's a six-level adventure. And like you said, most of your characters, it takes a long time to get there. And I put off reading this for a while, but when I actually uh, gave it a good read, I was really impressed this, I think, could have very easily have been another box set, in all honesty, because the city of Sis is basically, what is it, a city on an asteroid flying around in space that the uh, Star Cabal is controlling, steering? Essentially, I, this is one that Job Bittman said he wrote it a good year or two ago. Yeah. And I'm and not sure just... what kind of drugs he was on when he wrote <laughs> this, but it has I'm to I'm going to hazard good ones. Hallucinogenic is definitely in the mix. Because let me tell you something, guys. This adventure, don't wait till your characters get to be 6th level to pick this up and run it. Because you can drop your lower level characters very easily, if you wanted to, into the city of Sis, Which is just such an awesome environment. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's getting out of that standard tavern and the standard fantasy fair and putting them in something in outer space. Totally gonzo DCC, I think. And you can do so many things while you're in the city. So... Although, being a, a six-level adventure, I think you could very easily come up with lower-level adventures and kind of get them in the feel of the, the whole adventure and work them up to that level. Oh, definitely. And another good point is that you can drop plot hints from the time they're level one or two. Yeah. yeah. Especially going to that first challenge on that island. You could set most of your sandbox area or other adventures even on this island and have them just work their way over to where they need to be for the beginning of this module. Well, and with all of the with the cabals and all of the intrigue that goes on, if you wanted to sit down, you could run an all-wizards campaign set there. That's a great idea. And have them come up, and maybe they're different factions but they don't reveal their factions to one another because as you're coming up through the ranks, you don't talk about who you serve because that's a great way to pick fights and you never know who you pick fights with. So you could have players 
in adventures and any one of them could have their own objectives they're trying to accomplish while trying to accomplish a common goal. And that's perfect because that's exactly what each of these NPCs has. They have an illustration and an introduction for each one. They give the judge their alignment and their goals and their tell. So when the NPC is lying to you, they're doing this particular thing. You know, maybe they're coughing a lot or fiddling with their musical instrument. Yeah. I would even say you could do a one-shot on the city of Ziz. Oh, definitely. Just using this information. Um, I I agree with you, David. It's a... There's so many cool things about this adventure. It's a resource that I don't feel has been tapped into to its full potential. Where else? again, it's still fairly new, release-wise. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, when did we, when did... Last Gen Con, I think? Was yeah, I dropped at Gen Con. Yeah. It, yeah and it, barely made it, if I recall. Yeah. Poor Job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the mercy of the shipping container gods. Yeah, yeah as happens to all too many of ours. Yeah. But uh, some of the things you've got, I mean, Job's put alien technology in here. There's some really cool items. You can even go into a mausoleum where there are dead wizards. Their brains are actually stored and you can taste the spinal fluid of these dead wizards, and there's a table for effects of tasting these these brain juices. Oh, God. It's Wait, total worst, Joe worst and, bar. And and it takes it out of the, <laughs> the Futurama vision that you immediately get yeah. when you start throwing in the, the tables and, and that dark feel to it. You know, yeah. normally when I think of wizards and flight, I'm thinking of a spell, <laughs> not a tasting flight, but... Oh, the... That'd be the world's worst bar crawl. <laughs> Speaking of bar crawl in this adventure, you've even got your own law enforcement system. And if you get arrested in this world, on this city, you're going to be put into a cube. You're going to be made into a cube. And I think that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, Is it have... a hypercube? Is uh, it mighty? <laughs> uh, no, no, it is not either of those things, actually. Your your compatriots can go and pay to have you decubed. Yeah. You better stop acting up. You're going to get cubed. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts. Um, but you reminded me talking about the the house, uh, Xylac's house itself. Each of these wizards has their own tower oh, yeah. on this rock. And you can potentially infiltrate others' grounds, depending on who you befriend. They might want you to go screw one of their buddies and uh, <laughs> maybe steal something from their house. So there's a list of appearances and defenses for each one of these towers. And how about the way he come up with actually generating the encounters in each tower? There's yeah. Like a, and that, to me, I loved it. There's so many cool traps. I mean, Job really knocked it out of the park, seriously, with this adventure. I loved it. Yeah, I, I like that. It, and there's even a table for random treasure. Let's face it, Job's love of interesting traps is why I, I think the 998th Wizards Conclave might have had something to do with him getting the Grimtooth's Traps adventure job. <laughs> that That's a fair guess, yeah. Having sat at his table and, and having made it past all those traps and watched him get so frustrated we were surviving the traps, Job Bittman loves his traps. <laughs> but that's fair, because like I mentioned you know, previously, having my face pulled off and slid around a wall was a pretty good trap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also love the, uh, the fold-out map in this adventure that Doug Kovacs did with all the planets. I think that was really cool. The nice little system, yeah. Yeah. 
and details on each rock. Yeah, asteroid. Yeah. It, it's pretty impressive and goes pretty well with this little book. I have to agree with you on that. See? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I found one of the most interesting things about this book is that not only were there only 200 copies of The Life of Eben uh, printed, but the sigil on the front was actually done by the author himself, and a nice yeah. little personal touch. Yeah, yeah the cool. original release was all hand-signed, 200 copies. There, there have been other small print runs since, but it's never really hit a major release on yeah. its own. I mean, it's just too small. Yeah, it'd be interesting if all of the chapters would ever be written, though. Well, a lot of them have been. And even when he died, other authors have continued writing chapters of the books of Eben. There's even a semi-humorous story in a Chaosium publication that is the book of Eben. And it deals with a guy who opens the door to what he thinks is an encyclopedia salesman. But it's not an encyclopedia salesman. He's selling the volumes of the book of Eben. And so the guy ends up subscribing like you would to Britannica and ends up having to then go off and sell volumes of his own so that he can continue making his own payments. I just found it really interesting. I was looking up you know, the other books and chapters and there's titles for all of them, but some of them still have never been written. Yep. So, uh, Sounds like a job yeah, for Mr. Brickman. I am not volunteering. <laughs> it's kind of funny because much like the DCC community where everybody you know kind of pitches in and creates stuff and shares stuff when you look at Clark Ashton Smith and Howard and the entirety of the Lovecraft circle that's what they did you know they wrote each other into stories they built on each other's stories so it's that writer's community spirit that sort of drives the entire OSR today I think it's well said it's a nice way to wrap that up yeah well that does take us to the end of the show. We would love to see what you create based on the books that we cover, are going to cover, or have covered. Submit your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media or via social media such as Google+, Twitter, or Facebook. And we'll post them on the site with our previous show material. We can put them into a future issue of our companion. We would really love to see what you guys are doing. Or tell us if you're using the stuff in our companions. Let us know what happened. We yeah. want to know how many people's deaths we're responsible for. That'd be so awesome. Yeah. Uh, as <laughs> always, if you've got a special road crew game or convention game coming up, let us know. GaryCon event submissions, I think, are done now. So let us know what your schedules are. We're going to be putting up a calendar and getting those things listed so people know when something's going to be happening they can find it it's important yes we want to yes. help you spread the word it's all about dcc yeah hopefully they'll put all of us in the uh in one area like we had the white tent last year i hope they put us back in well there. the dcc <laughs> players commandeered the white tent that was actually meant for pathfinder <laughs> society but they turned up their nose and weren't going to use it so we just took it Ixnay. Awesome. <laughs> it was awesome it had heaters and everything uh <laughs> well we're in a completely different venue this year but it's supposed to be bigger and better and, and a little bit shinier. So we'll so see how it we'll turns see. out. Yeah. So we hope you've heard something on the show that inspires you. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great night. Jen, David, any last words? Um, <laughs> last word. Have fun making your players go insane. Yeah, guys, take care. Yeah. We'll see you next Please time. Please do. <laughs> Good night. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast.